Uh, we're so grateful to have Yotis with us. He is uh, a leader from the uh, city from which Western civilization arose. Uh, he uh, serves in the heart of Athens at the first evangelical, or the first Greek evangelical church right there in the heart of Athens. Uh, strategic ministry, planting churches, ministering through houses of hope to refugees. Uh, and we've just been so grateful to be able to partner with him. And you'll love him if you don't yet know him. Many of our folk have been over and visited or met him here. But uh, you get to feast this morning as uh, an incredibly gifted preacher brings God's word to us. I'm going to read our text from Ephesians chapter 3. It's the entire chapter, and uh, Yotis will be preaching from this again tonight. You'll find this on page 977 of the Bibles that we provide. And you might want them open because he's going to He's going to take you into this text, and it will help if it's open. Paul writes, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we would ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. 
It's such a great joy and privilege to be here with you. Uh, Cedar Springs has been a church that uh, stood uh, next to us, and they have helped us in many different ways through the years, and we feel so grateful for that. And actually, um, this feels at home because um, pretty often uh, I would listen and I would watch the sermons of uh, your pastor, John Wood, and I would like to say that you're so blessed to have uh, John as your pastor and uh, sit under his profound teaching, which brings me to my point that when Pierce uh, asked me to preach from Ephesians 3, I realized that he has preached, John has preached a couple of years ago from this very passage. And um, actually, I said to Pierce last night that perhaps it's a good idea to simply see the video from that time. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, Pierre said, no, we paid your ticket, we brought you here, you are going to preach. Uh, so, uh, well, um, but I, there is another reason why this passage is really intimidating, and that is because it's so complex and it's so complicated, it's a very deep, rich, but at the same time difficult to crack and understand. And a key concept, which we will deal with it at the beginning, and I want your patience with it, uh, is the concept of mystery. I don't know if you've noticed that this idea about God's mystery being revealed is being repeated over and over again in this passage. If you have your Bibles open, it will definitely help to have your Bibles open or phones or iPads or whatever. Um, uh, turn in Ephesians chapter 3, and for example, we read in verse 3, uh, Paul says about how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Then in verse four, again, he talks about when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. And then later on in verse six, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and on and on it goes. So a key question is what is this mystery that Paul is talking about? And I would like us to, to try to understand that because as I will try to show the nature and the content of that mystery is the very reason why we do missions. If we understand what Paul is talking about when he's referring to the mystery, we'll understand why we need to do missions. And in order to understand what mystery is and what Paul means by that, it's very important to compare and actually to contrast uh, Paul's use of this term with what we call the mystery religions. There was a plethora of mystery religions in ancient Greece and in the antiquity. And um, we don't have the time to go deep into all of that, but it's very important to keep in mind that there are two main characteristics of all these mystery religions that they were very popular in Paul's age. The first, it was exclusivity. Uh, it was all about excluding people. The whole point of these mystery religions were that you need to belong to that inner ring uh, in order to be part of it. It was all about a closed group of people. So it was not about everybody, it was only for those who were initiated into those. So uh, excluding others is a key uh, feature of the mystery religions. And the other is, it's all about experience. It's about your experience. Uh, there is not much truth in it, so there's no much content in it, but it's just a, an experience you have. So keep in mind these two main features, excluding others and focusing on your experience. And now, 
when we come to the New Testament and we try to understand what Paul means when he talks about the mystery, we see the exact opposite. So for Paul, mystery is all about inclusion. Mystery is all about including others. Come with me in verse 6, chapter 3, verse 6. There we read, this mystery is that the Gentiles, the other, the different than us, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise. So uh, we'll do some Greek lessons uh, uh, this morning, so excuse me for that. But, I mean, Greeks believe that everything originated by us, so uh, it may be true, but uh, anyway. Uh, but, uh, I mean, just knowing a bit Greek is helpful to understand the scriptures, especially the New Testament. Uh, it's very interesting that we have three words in the Greek text that they all have as a prefix the word sin, which means with, fellow. So, for example, we read, uh, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, and then again, fellow members, that would be a more precise translation, and then fellow partakers. You see, this mystery is all about inclusion, it's about including more people, the other, the different than us people in our group. So that, that's the first thing. And the second thing, remember what it was the mystery religion is all about? About experience, my experience. When we come to the New Testament and Paul Use, Paul's use of this term, we see that it's not about my experience, but the mystery is all about God's action in history. So we read the end of verse 6 that the mystery is that the Gentiles, uh, tonight, we'll talk more about that. We'll talk about uh, what exactly is the mystery and how that is uh, fulfilled but uh, when we don't have all the time today, but uh, I mean in the morning service, but come, please come tonight, and we'll hear more about that. But uh, uh, let's, let's complete the verse. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise, inclusion. And then how all this is uh, uh, applied in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So in reality, mystery is the good news about God's action in history through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So in the mystery religion, it's all about my experience. The mystery in the New Testament is all about God's acting in history in a public fashion in and through Jesus Christ. So as I said, I believe that this is the very reason why we do uh, missions. This is why that mystery has to be given to all. And that is what we read in verses 8 and 9. Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. Why I should preach to the Gentiles? Because the mystery that has been revealed is all about including people including the Gentiles. That's why I need to go and preach to the Gentiles. And then he continues in verse 9, and to bring that to light for everyone, for everyone. So that is the basis of missions. That's why we do missions. Because the good news of God's public action in history through Jesus Christ has to be proclaimed to all parts of the world because it's all about 
including people in that new community, the new humanity that Christ uh, creates through his um, cross. Now, what we are going to do this morning is that we will try, since we have established what is the essence of mystery and why we do missions, what we will try to do is to, to see three main ways that this mission will be fulfilled. Okay, since this is our mission, to bring, to proclaim Christ, to proclaim the good news of God's public action in history through Jesus Christ to all, since this is our mission, we'll see three ways that that can be fulfilled in our life. And the first thing we'll say is that in order to do that, we need to understand the times. We need to have a good grasp and understanding of the time, what time is it. Second, we need to appreciate the privilege of being part of that mission, to appreciate the privilege. And the third is to rely on God's strength, on God's power. Three things, I'm a good Presbyterian, three-point sermon. So first thing is to understand the time, second thing, to appreciate the privilege, and the third thing is to rely on God's strength and God's power. Let's start with the first one. We need to understand the times. In order to fulfill our mission, we need to understand the times. Time plays a significant role in the book of Ephesians. If you come with me in Ephesians chapter five, we read in verses 15 and to 17, Paul saying, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. That is exactly what Paul is doing. You see, he says that you need to, to, to be perceptive, you need to understand what time it is, to understand the times, to understand what the Lord is doing in time. Time is not something that you simply find it in the calendar, but, but time is loaded with theological significance. So Paul, twice in this chapter, repeats a very significant word to describe his ministry and to, dis- to describe and talk about his mission and what he does. And that word is the word now, now. First of all, in verse 5, chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says, he talks about the mystery and he says, which was not made known to the sons of men in, order gener- in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and on and on. Now, Paul realizes that he lives in a particular now. And also in verse 10 we read, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom, and this is mind-blowing, that through the church, God chose through the church, come tonight, we'll talk exactly about that, that through the church, God chose that the manifold wisdom of, of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You see again the emphasis on the now. Paul twice feels that he lives in a particular divine now. That is a particular time. That is a specific opportunity. Let me explain what I mean with an illustration. 2015, summer of 2015. Uh, at the beginning of that summer, 
uh, a group of uh, consultants from the United States came to visit with us uh, to help us figure out uh, how to put some structure in our church planting movement. Eight years ago, we started, we felt God calling us to plant churches in Athens. So we'll talk a little bit about that later and tonight. And so we started planting churches and we planted five churches and life was kind of crazy, very chaotic, very Greek in that sense. And uh, so Americans came to straighten us out. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, these consultants came to help us understand how we're going to go about and things like that. So they asked me this question at the beginning of the summer of 2015. They said to me, what is your next step? What is the next step? And I remember saying, it's a step back. What is the next step? It's a step back. And then the refugee crisis started that summer. And refugees came by thousands every single day. And uh, that summer, I had to go to Cambridge at Tyndale House to work on an academic paper as I was writing. And believe me, all along I was praying that this thing will be over by the time I will return back to Greece. And I kept reading the news and reading the news. And when we returned back to Greece, it didn't end, it was there. So we went, I remember, for the first time to explore. So we went to this square, there was a square, it was, it's called Victoria Square. And back then, summer of 2015, it was packed with hundreds, perhaps thousands, of refugees who were actually living there. I mean, if you can imagine uh, all of them living there with nothing. And uh, we went there. We took some plastic bags with some stuff, some goodies, some first aid things to go there, and we're trying to make, trying to make a plan how to distribute them. As soon as we arrived, they stormed at us. They took everything, literally even our clothes. And uh, there I am, there I am. And as, as, as I look around, all these people who are totally clueless, I mean, they left their country, they fled war, they, they don't know where exactly, it's happening to them, where they are going. I felt right there, that moment, a divine now. Now is the time. I mean, I may not like it, I may have different plans, but it's very important in order to fulfill God's mission to understand the times. To understand when is the divine now. And I think that in general, I mean, I'll come to become more personal, but I think that in general, we live in a divine now. Especially, I can talk about Greece. We live in a divine now. Pierce has this theory. I have heard him saying that, and he's right. Pierce said that is it by coincidence that there is, in the last 10 years, 15 years, and Cedar Spring has played a role, a church planting movement in Europe. I mean, Europe was in the past, a dead continent spiritually. But now there is a church planting movement through many different venues. And is it by coincidence, Pierce said, that is now the time that, I don't know if you have heard, this is a missiological term, the 1040 window. It's, it's that part of the world where the least evangelized people live, and literally the 1040 window is being emptied in Europe. Is it just by a coincidence? Or is it the divine now that we need to act, that we need to embark? Let me tell you another illustration. I mean, we had immigrants and refugees before the refugee crisis. I mean, 
I mean, that's why we talk about the refugee crisis, because the volume changed. But we always had, and we have an Iranian church, um, and it's been for the last five, six years. So six years ago, we felt that, um, I mean, we had this guy who was working uh, full-time, and, uh, but he was a very skilled evangelist. And I mean, I don't know, I'm a good Presbyterian, but I don't know how to explain that, but there is something like a revival that takes place with Iranians. It's so easy. I mean, they come to faith and it's so easy. So you get jealous uh, at times. So uh, it, 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 was, it was crazy. People were coming to faith and uh, I, was, um, 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 I was baptized, you know, I must have baptized about 200 Iranians uh, who came to faith the last, I mean, the first couple of years of that ministry. And let me tell you this, uh, being a Presbyterian, the seminary, we went to the same seminary. We had this de- denominational whatever, we would call them, and so the day that it, you know, we were taught about baptism, I didn't go, because I'm a Presbyterian, I know how to baptize, to throw some water on babies, so I didn't go to do the whole thing. But then, there I am, I need to baptize all these Iranians, and I have no clue, but in YouTube, you can find everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I go to YouTube, and I found how to baptize, so it, it was crazy. So. I, I, I come to my board of elders, I come to my board of elders and I say, we need to support this Iranian church. We need to help this guy be full-time in ministry support. And of course, that was right before this, the beginning of the crisis that we face in Greece. And I mean, the board of the elders says, I mean, we don't have money. Actually, we had some money that we put aside to fix our restrooms. But we all said, now is the time. I said to them, you know what? I don't know. I mean, it's crazy what's going on. I don't know if the same thing will happen next year or it will keep happening. I don't know. But now, this is the time we can live with the old restrooms. But now is the time. And I wonder, what is your divine now? I mean, what is this specific opportunity that God places in front of you? And he says, now is the time. That's the first thing. The second thing, in order to fulfill our mission, is that we need to appreciate the privilege. We need to appreciate the privilege. Let's uh, go back to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. We read verse 1. Paul starts uh, talking to them, and he says, for this reason, I, Paul, not the words here, they have significance. Now, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then, instead of him continuing saying what he is about to say, he opens a parenthesis. He makes a detour, a diversion. And then he comes back to his original thought in verse 14. If you go to verse 14, you see it starts with the exact same way uh, as verse 1, for this reason, you see that? So he picks up where he left it and he says, for this reason, about my knees before the Father. So Paul uh, wants to pray for his Gentile friends, but he says something that makes him open a parenthesis. And what is this? He says to them that I'm a prisoner for your sake. And Paul is a good pastor. He needs to explain that. So he opens the parenthesis to simply explain that. And see how he does. 
uh, in verse 2, he says, assuming, I assume, that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Now, it's interesting, again, this is the second Greek lesson here, that the word stewardship is the word economia, or those of you who were trained in classical Greek, oikonomia, which is the wrong way to pronounce the word, but that's another story, economia. But this is the, the, the word that you get, the word economy. And as I always say, we gave you the word, but we lost our economy. But, uh, so this is, that's what Paul says, that uh, I have this economia, this stewardship uh, of God's mystery for your sake, you Gentiles, okay? And then in verse, uh, in, in, in chapter one, that's the, the interesting thing, in chapter one, verse 10, go there, chapter one, verse 10, Paul talks about that mystery, talks about God's plan, you know, the redemptive plan, and he says this, as he's talking about Christ being the essence of that mystery, he says, as a plan for the fullness of time, you see time significance, Paul lives and he understands that he lives in a very crucial, critical time. It's not simply any time, but it's, it's, it's time in God's purposes. So, but let's go back. As a, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, the thing that you are missing because you don't know Greek is that the word plan, talking about God's action, is the word economia. So in a way, what is the significance of the so what? The so what is that Paul understands what he does simply as being part of what God does. Okay? So God has an economia, and Paul participates in that economia. So he is in mission because basically he is doing what God is doing in this world. Okay? But because of that, because of his mission, uh, he, and because of the nature of the mystery that he has to go everywhere, he needs to preach to the Gentiles. So because he's preaching to the Gentiles, he got himself in trouble. He's in prison. So Paul needs to explain to these Gentile believers how he feels about that. Because, you know, he may think that, okay, now uh, I said that, I mean, imagine that, that, you know what, because of you, I'm in prison. And uh, they may think, okay, is he mad at us? I mean, how is he feeling? So Paul opens this parenthesis to explain how he feels about that. That's very important. And the interesting thing is that Paul talks about profound theology, very complex and very deep theology, but the bottom line is that Paul says all these things in order to come to verse 13, come with me to verse 13, and say, so... I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Basically, Paul says, okay, I'm in prison as I fulfill God's mission to you, but don't feel sorry for me. You know why? Because I don't feel sorry for myself. And why? Is this a theology of masochism? Is, is this that we embrace suffering and we rejoice when bad things happen to us? No, no, Paul is not crazy. I mean, 
being in prison is not a good thing, is not something that you rejoice about. Be careful what he says. He begins, verse 13, saying, so I ask you, I mean, these small words are the most important words in the Bible, in order to understand. So Paul says, there is a reason why imprisonment is not such a big deal. There is a reason why I don't feel sorry for myself because I'm suffering. And what is the reason? He repeats the same phrase three times in the previous verses. Verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. But Paul, that is, that, that, that stewardship, that economy is what got you in prison. I mean, but Paul says, no, 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 no. The way I see it is that this is a grace given to me. And then in verse 7 of this gospel, he says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me. And then in verse 8, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You see what he's saying? He says that to, to, to be part of that mission is such a great privilege that, I mean, com- if you compare that with what kind of suffering I need to endure, it's nothing. It's nothing. And when I was a young student at Gordon Cantwell Theological Seminary, I was first introduced 20 years ago to 12.15, you said we need to end. Okay, it's 12.16. Uh, all right, I don't like that. Uh, uh, there is one more point in just a second. But I, I remember, I remember uh, uh, listening to, I mean, actually I was not listening, uh, I was listening to some tapes, I mean, for you young people who need to explain what a tape is. I mean, there was, you know, by John Piper. I mean, John pa- I mean that was the early years. And he said something that had an, a profound impact on me. He said that there is no sacrifice in Christian life. Do you believe that? At first I said, what is he talking about? There is no sacrifice in Christian life? But that's what Paul says here. I mean... Okay, I'm in prison, but you know what? This is not a sacrifice. This is not a theology of misery. Oh, how poor I am and, you know, how miserable I am that I have to suffer and do all these things. You know, Paul is, is, he feels privileged for the grace that was given to him. So he counts everything as nothing, as nothing. Why? Because he appreciates the gospel. How good are the good news for you? That is the measure of your commitment in missions. And many times, the reason that we count the cost so great, and that is a stumbling block that prohibits us from being open about our faith, being involved in ministry and in mission, is because we haven't appreciated enough the grace that was given to us. The third point is that in order to fulfill our mission, we need to rely on God's power. Why we say that? Where do we find it? I mean, remember what we just said. Paul is praying. He says all these things about the mystery that was hidden, now is revealed in the context of prayer. And why Paul prays? Because he realizes that it's not his efforts, eventually, that will make the difference. I mean, he is the apostle to the Gentiles, so he's preaching to them, he's doing missions to them, but that's never enough. He prays for them. Why? 
Because at the end of the day, Paul realizes that it's all about God's strength and God's power. That's why he prays and he prays and he asks for prayer. If you come with me to Ephesians chapter 6, we read in verses 18 to 20, Paul saying to the believers, why? Because our fight, our battle is not with uh, flesh and blood, but with principalities. With, you know, we are engaging in, in serious stuff. And, th- and when we realize that, we are praying. Why we pray? Because we know that only by God's strength we can do anything. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Make supplication for all the saints. And also for me. Pray for me, Paul says. I pray for you. You pray for me. Why? Because we realize that nothing will happen unless God, with his power, comes and he makes a breakthrough. And that is true about every ministry, but especially when we talk about church planting. Because church planting, I mean, think about that. Plant a church, which means change lives, which means resurrected lives. How do you do that? What is the method? I mean, we all realize that eventually it's not about our methodology, it's not about our resources, it's about God intervening and making a miracle. When we first felt the call to plant churches 18 years ago, I have never seen a church being planted in my entire life, in, in my experience. I mean, uh, I didn't know what that is. I thought it was an American product, an American uh, idea, and you know, it, doesn't, it, it works only here in the United States. And I, I say that the way sometimes you talk about that, I call it the Stephen Jobs principle. We started in our living room, uh, five people, and now we're 5,000. And if you add up all evangelicals in Greece, I mean, the whole total number is about 30,000, even if you include people who don't talk to each other. Uh, I mean, it is 30,000. You say, what's wrong with us? You know, so uh, that was our experience. And there we are to, to plant the church. And we have no clue. So, I mean, God providentially, I mean, it's a long story. Perhaps I'll say some more uh, tonight. Uh, we got in touch with city to city, with Redeemer Presbyterian Church. So we read all the manuals. We sent our people to their training sessions. So we got all the training. But, I mean, at that time I was reading the story of Elijah and his confrontation with the prophets of Baal. Okay, let's, let's make an analogy about what he did and about church planning. So you look out and you find the best stones. You can do that. You can read a book that tells you which stone is good and just to curve it. And then you can find a good plan as to how you put one stone up to another. And then you can find a manual that will tell you what kind of wood is good for fire. And you can go out and find it. And you can do all of that. So I think planting a church, we built the, the altar. We, you know, we decided where we're going to plant the church. We did this and we did that and we put the hood, and then we had, you, you need to find an animal, okay? You find two church planters, so you put them on the altar somehow, and, 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 but, but there is this detail. For this whole enterprise to be successful, there is one more element. There has to be fire from heaven. Do you know any good tricks? Is there any manual that tells you how to bring fire from heaven. There is not. And that is the moment that you are scared. And you say, I don't know. And you have the board of the elders asking you, what are you doing there? And you say, I have no clue. And you pray. 
and pray and rely on God's strength and power. That's the only way that Paul understands that his mission will never be fulfilled. We overdid it. But I hope that, and I would like to leave you with this challenge, with this challenge. Count it as a privilege to be part of God's mission in this world. Whatever you are, whatever you do, you don't have to be a missionary, an official missionary to do that. Whatever you do, find what is the divine now in your life, the divine opportunity, and say yes. And say to the Lord, I'll do it. I'll go there. And don't ever try to to do it alone. It will be a disaster. Pray. Rely on God. May God bless you. Amen.